Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is the video version of my Tech Guy podcast. You're about to hear the uh, best parts of the radio show from Saturday and Sunday, April 9th and 10th, 2011. These are episodes 759 and 760. Enjoy. Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the Tech Guy, and it's time to talk tech. Computers, the Internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater... All the gizmos, gadgets, doodads, and doohickeys that are filling our lives. Would you like to talk? Let's talk. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's my phone number. 888-827-5536. Toll free from anywhere in the U.S. of A. Now, if you're outside the U.S., I, I understand. I, I understand. You, 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 you say, wait a minute. Or perhaps you say, wait a minute. Or perhaps you say, I say, wait a minute. We are not in the United States of America. What do we do? Well, you can use a, a Skype to call toll-free using Skype out. Because if you're calling an 888 number, a toll-free number into the U.S., it doesn't cost you anything. Isn't that cool? 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number if you want to talk about computers, the Internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home theater. All of, all of that, all that digital uh, detritus that surrounds our lives. So an interesting reorganization at the Google this week. This week was the week Larry Page took over from Eric Schmidt. Eric Schmidt, the CEO for the last 10 years of the Googster. I think, I think it's important to watch Google closely uh, for several reasons. You know, really, if you think about it, the companies that are dominating uh, the world right now are... No longer computer hardware manufacturers, although I, th I guess you'd have to say Apple has quite a bit of impact with its iPad. But really, they're, they're more uh, the, the Internet companies, the Googles and Facebooks of the world that are making the, the big differences out there, aren't they? In fact, more and more, it doesn't really matter what hardware you're using. It's, uh, it's, the, uh, it's, the, it's the, the cloud, the Internet. It's what you're doing out there and who's, whose stuff you're using. And the Google, because they're so powerful... Are uh, um, I think and Facebook are very worthy of not only our interest but our scrutiny, right? Because they wield so much power. No one really knows why Eric Schmidt left Google. You know, there's a new book, a new book, a new Google, a new book just came out uh, by Stephen Levy, uh, all about the Google, and I'm in the middle of reading it. it, it, it unfortunately, it's more the history of it than the, the, the current events. But the original founder of Google's back in charge, Larry Page, he had stepped down to kind of, you know, run products for a while. And the first thing Larry did, uh, taking off office, is it an office, taking the job on Monday, is reorganize it into six product areas and promote some people. Some people left. Jonathan Rosenberg, who was a senior vice president of product, left. An interesting, uh, and if you want it, this is almost Kremlinology, isn't it? The analysis of what's going on. But the interesting... Um, Note is that Marissa Meyer, who was one of the operating committee and had just recently been promoted to Google, uh, uh, whatever her title is, VP in charge of location, is not one of the six. 
Mm, she she wasn't she will not be um, waving at the tanks in the May Day parade coming up next week or in a, a few weeks. She will not. Who will be up there on the uh, on the balcony waving at the tanks? Vic Gundrotra. Gundrotra Gund <laughs> I know I'm going to have trouble with these names. Let me tell you, Vic. His name I should know because Vic is a very uh, you know uh, prominent Googler. He's the one who always takes stage when the Google's giving the uh, keynote addresses. Vic Gundotra, uh, Sundar Pichai, and Andy Rubin. All three names are fairly well known. Andy Rubin's a guy in charge of Android. Uh, Salar Kamangar, Alan Eustace, and Susan Wojcicki. Which, boy, they, I tell you these names. Woj, Woj, Susan. Uh, so, Eustace, who was in charge of engineering and research, is now senior vice president of search. That's a pretty big job at Google. That's <laughs> like the job. Gundotra, senior vice president of social. And I'll mention, I'll talk why about why social is so important in a second. Uh, Kamangar, Senior Vice President of YouTube and Video. These are, what, what Google's telling you, what Larry Page is telling you is these are the six things we care about. Pachai, Senior VP of Chrome. He was the guy in charge of Chrome OS. Met him actually, very nice guy. I really liked him. I had no idea he was going to be running Google in about a month. But they, okay, should have been a little nicer. I got kind of, a, not an argument, a debate, a civilized debate with him about Chrome OS. I thought, I, I don't know why you would uh, even bother, was kind of my attitude. I love Chrome as a browser, but I don't understand why Google needs to do two operating systems. One for mobile devices and tablets, called Android, and one for lap, dumbed-down laptops, called Chrome OS. But anyway, that's Sundar's uh, uh, beat. SVP of Chrome, and the Chrome browser I love, so Sudar, good job on that. Andy Rubin, SVP of Mobile, of course, it's Android. And uh, Susan Wojcicki is the SVP of Ads. So those are the, that, now we're being told by the Google, this is what, notice location is not in there. Hmm. What Google, can, Google now cares about is search, social, video, Chrome, mobile, and ads. Well, that kind of makes sense. Those are the six uh, divisions, aren't they? Don't know what Marissa's up to, but uh, seems like that's not a demotion. It's just not a promotion. Now, the reason I mentioned social kind of as a sideline is that Larry did one more thing that is very much a signal that Google is interested in something. It, he said that your bonuses to all the Googlers from now on will be tied to our success in... Drum roll, please. What is the most important thing at Google? Social. Not search. Not ads. That's how they make their money today. Not video. Social. That's how you're going to get a bonus. If you want to make some money uh, Christmas come Christmas time at Google, you're going to help us succeed in social. Why do they care so much about social? It's interesting. Well, because there's this other company down the road, and it literally is down the road, called Facebook. That's all about social, isn't it? Facebook's not about search. It's about social. Now, what do I mean when I say social? Well, that's a good question. What is Really, more to the point, what does Google mean when it says social? So here's what I think is happening. We've gone through several stages in the development of, uh, of the Internet. Remember the earliest days of the Internet, Yahoo came along, a couple of guys from Stanford, 
Philo and Yang, and they uh, and they said, "Hey, oh, this is this internet thing. This is going places. This is World Wide Web. This is going places. Uh, we'll create a, a a yet another hierarchically officious oracle of the web that you a directory human." created and maintained directory of every page on the web. Yet another hierarchically officious oracle, a.k.a. Yahoo. And that worked about a month. <laughs> and then the Internet got so big, it suddenly became apparent to Yahoo. Unfortunately, they made a bad choice. Sometimes you do make those choices and the results hit you a little later on down the road. They made a bad choice. Turns out you can't index with humans. It's too big. Along comes a company, a little company, also started by Stanford graduate students, Paige and Bryn, called Google. I guess you have to have double O's to really succeed in this business. And they said, you know, humans that can't do it, but a computer can. A computer-generated index, and that's worked very well for the last 15 years. Guess what? It's starting to break down, isn't it? When you go to Google, there's a lot of junk in there, and it's, and it's getting harder and harder for them to filter it out. It turns out that humans aren't such a bad idea. So the next generation of search is a mixture of computer-generated search indexes. But laid on top of it is a human layer. Your friends and what they're interested in. That's the social layer. And it turns out you can't have a you can't hire enough people to do this, but if you if you let people use their entire social universe to help them with search, you do get better results. A battle is about to be waged. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Your calls are next. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. For those of you alphabetically impaired... Somebody called me last week and said, it took me an hour to figure out what 8888-ASK-LEO was on a BlackBerry keyboard. <laughs> it's 888-827-5536. Either way, it, it's the same. It all works out the same. To Mission Viejo we go. Mark on the line, our first call of the day. Hey, Mark, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, this is Mark. Mark, are you driving right now? No, I'm at my stand right now. I'm in uh, sales. I'm helping people get strawberries. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I think a, a Camaro just drove off. Oh, okay. <laughs> it sounded like... <laughs> so what can I do for you, Mark? Well, I'm having a big problem with my computer. I just got Carbonite. I love that product. It's great. Yay! I should say, disclaimer right up front. They pay for advertising on this show, but they didn't pay you, Mark. So that's, I like that. <laughs> oh, they don't. But what I'm having a problem with is the, uh, I got a nice uh, refurbished Asus at um, uh, one of the big box retailers, and they provided me with the system restore disc, which I'm very happy about. But what happened was, in the midst of the backup, it's starting getting viruses, and I'm curious: Do I stop the backup and format the reformat the drive, or do I? Who are you getting the, uh, the backup on the backup? You're see how are you how are you seeing that you're getting viruses? I don't understand. Yeah, I really don't either. I came home 
uh, and my wife had been on an ACT site, her daughter's uh, pre-qualification for college. And uh, when I got home, I noticed some of the icons were missing and our wallpaper was missing, and I couldn't start Task Manager, so I ran malware bytes and I found a f several viruses. And so we got rid of that as best we could, but I'm still not getting so, any So you did a full restore? No, I haven't done it yet. I just oh, want to know. Oh, I see. Oh, well, wipe that drive and, and uh, reinstall and do the full restore. You're, you're lucky. And, uh, oh, but you don't have, I get it. Now I'm understanding. You don't have a full backup yet. No, when I left this morning. It's you been won't. Late. You know what? First of all, how many gigabytes uh, on that drive? With uh, what's resident or the size of the drive? Well, how much are you backing up? I think it was like 32 gigs. Okay. Let's do a little calculation here. Most people's upstream bandwidth, let's say, uh, let's give you, let's be the benefit of the doubt. You know, you probably have, you have a cable modem, let's say it's 20, 20 megabits down and one megabit up. The truth is, of course, Carbonite's not going to use all of that megabit or you wouldn't get any downloads either. You need to have some upstream as well as uh, download right. capability. So Carbonite's going to be judicious. Let's say it uses 500 uh, kilobits per second and you have how many gigabytes? It's going to take a while. And this is one thing I kind of want to emphasize to people who use Carbonite. I, I, I hope people understand this. And I, I have, the reason I'm, I mention it is I've gotten a number of people asking about this. Any online backup service is limited by the amount of bandwidth, upstream bandwidth you have. And, of course, any online backup service is going to be very judicious about how much of it uses. It really shouldn't use more than half. In fact, truthfully, it probably shouldn't use more than a third or a quarter of it. So it's trickling this stuff up to the Internet. Most people think, oh, I've got a big fat pipe. I've got, uh, I've got a cable modem. I'm getting. But remember, it's not the download. And all, almost all internet connections are what we call asymmetric. There's a lot more coming in than there is going out. This is kind of an old-fashioned way of thinking. But the internet service providers are nothing if not old-fashioned. <laughs> it's funny to think of it as old-fashioned, but they are. They in in the early days of the internet, who, who uploaded anything? It was all downloads, right? You cared how fast your websites came in or your email came in, and you didn't really care. You weren't running a server, so you didn't care much upstream bandwidth you have. So that's why they're so wildly asymmetric. You know, you have 20 times more speed down than you do up or more. And it's very common. Um, but it's upstream bandwidth that these uh, online backup services care about. So you've got to be realistic in your projections just to get your, break out your calculator and do some math and you'll realize that if you're trying to back up dozens or hundreds of gigabytes uh, online that it's going to take weeks if not months. That's fine, uh, especially with something like Carbonite. It, you just let it run. It, it goes on and on and on and once it does the full backup, that initial full backup, it doesn't take very long to keep it up to date. That's just incremental backup. So these systems do work, but you can't expect them to work instantly or overnight or even in a week. It just really is dependent on how much you're trying to back up and your bandwidth. And that you're just going to have to do a back-of-envelope calculation on that. So you don't have a full backup, Mark. That's the bottom line. It, it, Carbonite hasn't finished. The, if it had, then it's, just, it's very trivial what you're going to do. you got an infested machine. This is the nice thing about having a known good backup. You wipe that machine, put... Uh, windows back on there from the install disk or from the system recovery disks and then restore from carbonite you're good to go the restore is very quick because of course you have a lot of downstream bandwidth it might take a day depending on how many gigabytes but i mean when you download 20 gigabytes have you ever downloaded 20 gigabytes online it is not instant so it, that you should fit, factor that in my suggestion at this point
if you've got a computer that's really acting up, is get an external hard drive and back up your data onto that. Take, it, it, you know, 25, 30 gigabytes, just take a matter of an hour, say. Then do the same thing. Wipe, reinstall from a known good source. This is the best thing to do. And there's a lot of other advantages to this. Things will operate faster and everything's going to be better. And then restore your data after. And be, be careful about your data because... Uh, Make sure it is only data. Don't reinstall, restore, you know, the viruses. Uh, and be very careful if you are using, for instance, Microsoft Office files. Those can have embedded viruses. PDFs are very risky because of uh, flaws in Adobe's Reader. It's one of the reasons uh, we hear rumors, strong rumors now, that Microsoft's going to put a PDF reader built into Windows because uh, Adobe's just really fallen down on the job keeping Reader uh, safe. Uh, so, it is possible to infect yourself from your documents, but if you're careful and you update all your files, including Adobe Reader, Adobe Flash, make sure you update uh, your MP3 players, your photo stuff, make sure everything's completely up to date, latest versions, then you should be all right. You do need a good backup, though, before you do wipe the drive. And you do need to wipe the drive, it sounds like. I mean, you've got, vir you say, a bunch of viruses, wallpaper's gone missing, icons are gone missing, it's a, the system is in bad shape. 8888-ASK-LEO is the phone number. All right, we're going to, that's going to be, <laughs> last week was a nightmare. Last week, it was malware question after malware question because of a really nasty bug that spread around the internet very quickly last week. Uh, so that's going to be the last time I'm going to take, I'm going to talk about this for the next three hours of the show. If you've got malware, if you've got a bug, if you've got a known infection, wipe the drive reinstall that's the bottom line and if you get a message very realistic looking message that says it's from microsoft security you've got viruses download our fix it's not true that is the virus trying to it's well it's a bad guy trying to get you to download and install his virus so please please do not believe these pop-ups that say you have to download something you don't okay Microsoft Security Essentials, keep it up to date. Nod32, keep it up to date. That's all you need. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Craig is in Los Angeles listening to our mothership, the great KFI. Hello, Craig. Yes. Welcome. Thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. What can I do for you? Uh, yes. Um, I don't know much about technology, and I just bought my first smartphone, and it has a Wi-Fi hotspot. Yay. I was wondering, um, how safe is it? Uh, to uh, use my laptop and to do my banking or financial transactions uh, using the Wi-Fi hotspot uh, on the on the smartphone. I'm so glad to hear you ask that question, Craig. Uh, that's that's exactly the right question to ask. One, uh, we don't pay enough attention to security. Uh, and, of course, you're on uh, uh, wireless, which means, in general, that in order for wireless networking of any kind to work, you've got to broadcast and receive the data. It's floating through the air. So the way we secure ourselves on a wireless network is with encryption. You know what encryption is. It's uh, scrambling. It's encoding it. And encryption techniques are so good these days that it is uh, safe to say. I mean, it's never safe to say never or impossible. In, in anything, but especially in technology. But it's pretty safe to say that it is impossible uh, for a bad guy to get this data. 
if you use the proper encryption. Now, all the phones I've seen that do hotspotting allow you to turn on. In fact, I think they all require you to turn on WPA encryption. Is that right on yours, Craig? Does that make sense? Uh, yes, and I, I put a password in, too. Perfect. You're safe. So what's happening is WPA or WPA2, which is even more preferable, is strong encryption. Now, I encourage you to use a strong password, too. If you use bacon as the password, for instance, or any word that's in the dictionary, it's a little easier for a bad guy to get into your stuff. If you use eight or more random, truly random letters, numbers, punctuation, and characters, which means, of course, you can't remember it. But <laughs> I'll give you a, a little secret way to do this. But if you use random numbers, letters, punctuation, eight characters, then you're, you're safe as houses. They can't get in. You can bank. You can do everything. It's exactly as safe. In fact, might even be more safe than doing it uh, at home. So you're fine. Now, here's the key on the password. Okay. The best password is ra is truly random. Anything that's not ra the, the less random it is, the more easy it is for a bad guy to crack. And of course, uh, English language words are the least random because they can they can you know it's a trivial for a program to take a dictionary of hundreds of thousands of words and try every one in rapid order. So we want to use something that's not in the dictionary. But here's the problem: the more random it is, the harder it is to remember. So. There's lots of ways to do this. You can do your car license plate plus your birth date or, you know, any set of apparently random. There, it, isn't, it truly isn't random, but somebody would have to know your car license plate and your birth date and would have to know that you've used both of them. So, in other words, you can cobble together something that's random. One of the things I like to do is mix in, uh, I like to use uh, uh, song lyrics and take the first letter of each word in the song lyric because I can actually in my head go through that you know my baby takes the morning train M B T T M T that's pretty good and then I uppercase the nouns for instance I put punctuation in that makes a good password that's not truly not random and not as good as a real random password but believe me no no bad guy's gonna guess that unless <laughs> and I've got myself doing this you're, the bad guy can hear you humming the song while you're typing in your password. Don't do that. <laughs> so maybe a song isn't the best thing. But, you know, for instance, your, li your car license, um, uh, you, your, uh, I, you know, I used the phone, my phone number when I was a kid. That's a good one. I you know, because as a kid, I, I memorized that number, so I would never forget it. That's a good password. If you add other stuff, intermix it with... Uh, say, the first four initials of the first four presidents of the United States, things like that. That's a good okay. one, for instance. Use the uh, the last ten presidents of the United States uppercasing Republicans. You get what I'm saying is you can make a random, seemingly random password that isn't, in fact, that's easy to recover. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome, Craig. You are safe, in other words. And I wanted to give that little lecture on passwords because uh, we use passwords so much and we really don't... Uh, treat them as as carefully as we ought to. For instance, I met a good friend who was one of our one of one of our podcast hosts the other day at the gym, and uh, she said her uh, Google what was it Google uh, checkout had been hacked. Google sent her a notice said it's been it's been hacked, and I said, "Oh dear, that's terrible." Uh, did you have a strong password? She said, "Yeah, but I, I only have three passwords, and I I have weak, medium, and strong, and I reuse them." And I said, "Oh." You really shouldn't reuse passwords because if one site gets hacked, uh, 
through other means, then bad guys may, you know, let's say Twitter gets hacked through other means, you know, they figure out your secret question or whatever it is, then they're going to try that password on a bunch of other things just to see, just in case you have a Yahoo Mail or a Gmail account and see if you use the same password. So don't repeat passwords. Here's my best advice on passwords. Get the computer to help you. And a, and a great program for this is called LastPass. It's free. LastPass.com. L-A-S-T-P-A-S-S.com. I pay for this. There's a higher level dollar a month pro account that gives you some additional features. But truthfully, the free one is all the features you need. It has plugins for all the browsers on all the platforms, including Android and iPhone. That's important. Uh, it has, it, uh, trust me, I won't go through all the security that they use, but they, uh, we vetted it. Steve Gibson, who does my security podcast, spent a whole two hours talking about this program and what they've done to make it pr protect you, and it's great. It will generate truly random passwords and remember them, which is nice. And so you only have to remember one password. That's your last pass password, and it remembers all the rest. It's a really, really good system. You probably heard about uh, RoboForm or uh, on, the, on the Mac, uh, uh, First Pass, or what is it, uh, One Password. There's a lot of programs like this. The best is LastPass because it runs on everything, including all your phones, all your mobile devices, your iPad. So it's really universal. That's important. I just love it. And uh, you just use that. Generate passwords with that. Uh, and then you'll always have a strong password. And you only have to remember one password. And that one password should be strong, but doesn't have to be super strong. Just, just something uh, strong enough so that somebody can't just guess it. And then and bacon. That's probably not a good one. 8888 Leo. I'll tell you, if you start using LastPass, you'll wonder why you didn't ever use it before. Let's go to Florida. Jonathan is there. He's a student. Hi, Jonathan. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, hey, Leo. It's an honor to talk with you. Wow. Thank you. Well, here I am. No honor, of course. It's just just us geeks. I have a quick question for you. Um, I'm a full-time student, and uh, right now I have an Acer Aspire 1 netbook. Yeah. But when it comes to browsing the web, uh, listening to Internet radio, such or, or watching twit.tv um, while running Microsoft Office, it's a little too slow for what I need. So I was wondering if you had any opinions on perhaps the HP Pavilion DM1Z or maybe you could recommend uh, a different brand. I'd, I'd like to stick with uh, Windows 7 because that's what I'm learning in my, you know, intro to computers class. And but whatnot. you want a small, light computer, right? I, yeah, I need it to be ultra-portable because it's in my backpack with me every day, all day. Um, any like netbook is going to be, if you think that that Acer 1 is too slow, any netbook's going to be too slow. They're all using the Atom processor. There are faster Atoms, but they're really uh, low and slow, cheap processors. So I'm going to have you well, spend a little bit... I'm, I'm, gonna I'm gonna have you spend a little bit more money, and okay. get and this is a 12-inch, very light, lovely battery life, very powerful. The Lenovo X220 just came out. A great choice for a student. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. I'm trying to think. Oh, I get it. Kyle says this is passwords. Get it? Well, it's Jeopardy, but you, you get the idea. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number if you've got a question, a comment, a suggestion. You want to talk high tech. We, I had to rush along with our last caller. He's a student. He wanted a thin, light, but a little bit more juice laptop. 
than he has. He bought a netbook. You know, they, the net, it's funny how you don't hear people talk about netbooks much anymore. They, they were the computer industry's response to a recession. Uh, uh, Intel came up with the cheapest, junkiest chip they could. Remember, Intel uh, doesn't make as much money on a cheap chip as they make, because basically all the chips cost them roughly the same amount of make. So they want you to buy the higher-end chips. So they figured, well, if we're going to make a cheap chip, we really better make sure it doesn't compete with anything more powerful. So we're really going to make this thing dumb and slow, and then it can be cheap. They still don't like selling it because their margins on uh, the Atom, that's what the Atom processor is, is very low. They don't make much money on that thing. So they prefer not to sell you a netbook. And then, of course, uh, in, in order to get a netbook into the three, $400 price range, they've got to use cheap components all around. So it's not only slow, but it's kind of um, cheesy feeling. Nevertheless, the world really, you know, sat up and took notice of these netbooks because they were so affordable. We'd never seen $300 laptops. Wow, that's great! Until you use it. And then you realize why it's so cheap. It's fine if you're not demanding. If you want something light, you can carry around. Um, but there are still many, many, many very good, very light, very powerful systems out there. And my favorite, as I said right now, Lenovo makes very good hardware. He said he wanted Windows. Now, I think the MacBook Air, at the same price point as the Lenovo uh, X220, is uh, also a good uh, a good choice for those who want a Mac. But that Lenovo is pretty spectacular. It just came out. It's the X220. You can kind of build it to have the capabilities that you're looking for. Um, but it's very thin, very light. 12.5-inch screen, which is big for a... Uh, a netbook or a, a notebook in this category. It does have a decent processor, an i5 or an i7. It's using Sandy Bridge, which means you get good battery life up to about eight hours. And then there's an additional battery slice you can add to the bottom that they say will give you up to 23 hours. It's three pounds. So it's good for a student. Windows 7, that's what he wanted. And then you can add the features that you want. It will, that you can put an SSD drive in there that will really enhance the speed uh, and the cost. I think you get what you pay for, to be honest. Uh, this, the, the reason this X220 is so good is because it's well-made. It's solid as a rock. It's got the best keyboard of any laptop made. And that, for a student, I think is also important. You're going to be writing papers on this. This isn't just taking the class. This is everywhere, including all your papers. I'll tell you who gave me uh, the tip on this is uh, Cory Doctorow, who is a professional writer, science fiction author, who uses these, uh, puts Linux on them. He doesn't leave Windows on them. But he uses Lenovo because he likes the keyboard. He's banging on it all day, thousands and thousands of words a day. That's, to me, something you're looking for as a student, right? So, so you know, they start at 1000 bucks. They're not horribly expensive. If you've got a little more money, you can add another battery or you can uh, get a faster or larger drive or more RAM. But I think even the, the base X220 is very, very nice. This is a good choice for a student who wants Windows. Good. They now have HD webcams in them, 720p webcams. That's something else to look for these days. Everybody's using Skype and uh, doing video calling. Good choice. Let's go to Brenda in California. Hey, Brenda, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Brenda! Hello, Hey, Hello. welcome to the show. Yes, I'm here. Hi. Um, I am looking to um, build an e-commerce website 
and I was wondering if you could recommend good software for that. You want to do it yourself instead of having a provider do it? Yes. You're sure? I'll tell you why I'm trying to talk you out of it. Um, it first of all, do you, it, it's only a good idea if you want to become an expert in how to build e-commerce websites. If you really want to be selling stuff, you'd probably want somebody else to run the software, manage the site for you, and do the merchant stuff for you. Because remember, you can't just build an e-commerce website. Now you have to get a merchant account so that you can take credit cards. And think about your customers. If I can go to Yahoo Business or Amazon and buy something, or Brenda's Hot Site, and buy something. Who am I going to trust? <laughs> so, yeah. unless your goal is to become an expert in e-commerce, I'd say don't do it yourself. Now, have I talked you out of it? No. Um, I can tell not. <laughs> you really you really want somebody else to do the hosting for you, the back end for you. Uh, and and uh, Amazon's a very good choice. They they will do it all for you. Many of your customers, I bet, will have an Amazon credit card on file. They'll have one click. And it's sure reassuring. I can speak for myself and think about your own self, Brenda, when you go out and buy stuff. If, uh, if it's an Amazon account that you're going to use to buy it, even if it's, I'm buying it from Brenda, but it's through Amazon, hey, I trust Amazon. Uh, Yahoo does the same thing. A lot of companies do it, but my favorite is Amazon. I think that's the best way to do it. If you really say, I've got to do this myself, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask. I don't run an, an, an e-commerce site, and uh, because I don't recommend it, I haven't spent a lot of time researching it. I'm not sure who makes the best e-commerce engine. Remember, you're still going to have to get hosting. Uh, I would suggest probably going to somebody who offers e-commerce in their hosting package. And there are quite a few uh, good hosts out there who will do that. And then at least, you know, you've got an e-commerce system. It's built in. Because you're going to get hosting too, right? You're not going to run it out of your closet. I hope. <laughs> I pray. <laughs> Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Uh, let's see. It looks like JJ in New Jersey is next. Hey, JJ, Leo Laporte here. Hey, Leo. Thanks a lot for taking my call. I'm a huge, huge fan of yours. Thank you, JJ. Yeah, I have a couple of questions for you. I run a netcast network called the Voices on the Net Network, and I have the video streaming down path, but what I want to do is I want to add audio streaming to it. Now, there's Shoutcast servers, there's Icecast servers. I believe right. you use an Icecast server. I use Icecast, yeah. So the well, easiest way to do an audio stream is to go to someone like live365.com. And uh, send, you'll send them audio from your computer, and they'll do the broadcasting. They have a directory and, and so forth. Otherwise, you have to buy a server and server bandwidth. That's what we do, but it's, you know, it's non-trivial. It's not, not inexpensive. Um, and I run an IceCast server on that. I use IceCast because it's open source and compatible with Shoutcast. Those are the two of the very most common forms of streaming media. They play back on all platforms. Um, almost everybody has a compatible program. iTunes is compatible. Winamp is compatible. Uh, it plays back on many phones as well. So it's a good choice for your technology. But if you're not running your own server already, you should go to Live 365. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More calls right after this. Well, a good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Talking about computers, the internet, of course, 
but digital photography as well and camcorders. Camp? Does anybody buy camcorders anymore? I think they've gone the way of PDAs. You know what the hot topic is? Cell phones. That's the that's where all the advances are happening these days. If you have a question or you want to talk about digital technology of any kind, maybe help help you with a buying decision. We seem to get a lot of those. I love that. Uh, help you get the most out of your technology. This is it. 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the phone number. 888-827-5536. Got a great uh, website, too. Uh, TechGuyLabs.com. The phone number's right on the front there. So if you remember that, that's probably all you need to do. TechGuyLabs.com. If you go there, you'll see uh, show notes from every show that we do. This is episode, what is it, 759. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. I've been doing this for a long time. That's not even all the shows I've ever done. That's just since we started being the tech guy. We. I'm the royal we. Since we started being the tech guy. Uh, so TechGuyLabs.com. You also find a link there to the chat. Always fun. There are a bunch of great people in there. And, of course, we keep it moderated so it's safe as well. 782 people in there right now. And with 782 people, we've got like a dozen moderators. Can we bowl, please? Darth Emma, Dustin Hip, Houdini, Seven Inferno, Ten, Kevin H, Life's a Zoo, Marmot, Mick, Tech Zen, Troubled, Warpoli. We're all in there. I'm in there, too. TechGuyLabs.com. Click the chat link. If you've, ever, if you've ever used chat, it's fun. If you've not, it might be a little overwhelming because it goes really fast past your, past your face. But, uh, but it's, it, you know, it's family friendly. Let's put it that way. Uh, there's also a link there to the live video. Hello. We stream uh, live uh, of, uh, video of this show. In fact, of all the shows I do via our good friends at Ustream and Justin.tv and BitGravity. I provide bandwidth for that. And so that's nice. Anybody can do that, by the way. That's what's so cool about Ustream.tv or Justin.tv. All you have to do is have a webcam, which most laptops have now. You can do your own show. We have a, a Super PC is always in our chat room. He's, uh, what is he? How old are you, Super PC? 12, 13, 14? I think he's 14. And he's got his own show on Ustream. Isn't that cool? I mean, I think that's just great. Kids today. My son, my son, uh, he sent me a text on, uh, on Thursday or Friday and said, Hey, Dad, <laughs> tell all your followers to visit my music site. My son is uh, 16 and he's, uh, he's into music. That's what his thing is. Uh, you know, he's a guitar player, but he also really uh, is excited about electronic music that he can do on uh, on the computer. He uses Logic and, uh, uh, yeah, Logic and uh, uh, Reason on the Mac. It does really, really wonderful stuff. Uh, so he said, uh, Dad, tell your, tell your fans that I've put my music up online and they can listen to it. And uh, let me see if I can find his tweet. He said, <laughs> he said uh, and I'll pick you a nice nursing home when I'm rich. <laughs> I'm not going to, I actually won't give out the uh, URL. If you want to find it, it's on my Twitter uh, feed, Leo Laporte, twitter.com slash Leo Laporte. And the reason I'm not going to say it is, uh, if, they're all instrumental, but he picks sometimes some kind of profane names <laughs> for, his, uh, for his music. I don't want to offend anybody. <laughs> hey, he's 16. He just discovered those words. Uh, but it's a neat site, actually, that he's using SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com lets you put up music, uh, share it with for free, and share it. And other people can listen to it, download it, comment on it. It's the same with music, 
with uh, blogging, with photography, with video. It's just, you know, you can create a blog. You can post your videos. You can, you know, go to Vimeo and post your videos. You can uh, uh, post your music on SoundCloud. And all of these systems have comments. And, and uh, now, sometimes the comments are stupid. I don't recommend posting on YouTube for that reason because you get the most inane comments. But Vimeo, somewhere like that, where you get more intelligent commenting, those guys uh, will often give you useful feedback. I look at people, what people are saying on Henry's SoundCloud, and it's great because uh, it says, dude, I like this, I didn't like that. And I think any artist, any creative, needs to get, in some gentle way, but useful way, peer feedback. You know, when you take a writing class in college, they often have you read it out loud to your class and then you get critiques. And the teacher's careful to make sure the critiques aren't hurtful, but they're, they're useful if they're done in the right way. Now, admittedly, comments on a blog or comments on a video site or SoundCloud are often hurtful. So we all have to get a thick skin about that. But it is very useful. You post your pictures on Flickr, you're often going to get great feedback that help you be a better photographer. That's part of, uh, that's the social I was talking about. That's part of what's really remarkable about the internet. Artists for so many years kind of created alone. They would create, 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 write that novel and then publish it and get the feedback. It's too late then. And it's, and the, really the big issue is that the, the turnaround time is too slow. And what's changed with, let's say, digital photography is you get instant feedback. You get instant, you, you can look at your camera and see the picture immediately. You could take more. You can take hundreds of pictures, doesn't cost you anything, put them on Flickr, doesn't cost you anything, get that feedback, and go back out the next day and take more pictures. So you get this instant turnaround, this iterative process that makes you better and better and better and faster and faster and faster. Same thing with your music. Even novelists are doing this now. I have friends who post chapters online as they write on their blog and let you read them and comment on them. And books have gotten even, this is most often done with nonfiction, but even fiction books have gotten better because of this, this we call it iterative process of uh, create, get critiqued, go back, create, get critiqued. It's a circular process that you get better and better, faster and faster. I think it's one of the most exciting things that's going on. Uh, let's see. So moving along to Gary in Ohio. Hi, Gary. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, Leo. Welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm really glad to hear you there. I'm a... I'm just tickled pink uh, uh, to actually talk to you. I, I've been a big fan for a long time. I used to watch you on Tech TV. To oh, thank you. Thank you. And uh, anyhow, and I also wanted to thank you very much for this uh, 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 PR support you've been giving Ham Radio. Oh, I'm so excited about this. We actually have a Ham in studio uh, with us right now. Uh, Larry Martinez is a professor at Cal State Long Beach and also a Ham. And we, I made friends with... A guy named Bob Heil, he makes all my microphones, this great Heil PR-40, and he's a ham. Oh, yeah. In fact, he makes yeah. mics because he was a ham, and he wanted better ham mics. And he's talked me into doing a ham radio show on our podcast network. Fantastic. Yeah, I actually have uh, been watching you on your show here live. Uh, oh, so you on. know about it because I've been talking about it behind the scenes, yeah. Yeah, and I saw WA6. I think it was MVJ, was it? Is it uh, MVJ? Yeah, WA6 MVJ. Larry's in the studio with us. What's yeah, your yeah. What's your call sign? Are you a ham, Gary? Oh, yeah, 40, uh, 48 years now, WB8ROL. That was not my first call. That's great. But, uh, I, I, you so, know, so Bob Heil is going to do a show uh, on our podcast network. I think it'll be Friday evenings. It's going to be called Ham Nation. 
and which I think is a great name, and uh, and we'll probably launch that in the next few weeks. So uh, just keep your eye on TWIT TV for that. Oh yeah, I, I watch I watch all your shows, and I saw Bob on uh, uh, the Gizwiz here. Uh, Isn't he great? I just love Bob. Yeah. Fantastic uh, ham there, and fantastic guy. Period. So, anyhow, um, I've just recently came into the 21st century here with a Roku box. Oh, isn't that great? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I actually had a have a Seagate uh, uh, box here too. I, I got before that. I but. think they're interesting. There's a lot of the. Let's, can I put you on hold, Gary? And, and we'll come back because we do, we do need to take a break. But I want to come back and talk about oh, these sure. boxes. Uh, I, you know, Roku's not a sponsor or anything. I just happen to think that these are really wonderful. So we'll talk about the idea of something that connects your television, your, your television in the living room, to the Internet. And by doing so, just completely uh, explodes the abilities that your TV has. Gives you so much more interesting stuff. So hang on, Gary. I'd love to talk to you more about that in just a second. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Well, more calls right after this. When you've defeated the bad guy, and life is yeah. good, and you can and yes. you can wander around town safely, they play this music to to get you. Because at the end, his hand comes out of the grave and grabs your ankle. Yeah. Ah. Ah. <clears throat> Leo Laporte. And also for the start <laughs> of guy. spring for the masters. And and this is also for the masters. Okay. <laughs> this is the theme to the masters. It oh, is. I well, know never, we love sports here. <laughs> never mind. Actually, I'm glad you mentioned the Masters. The Masters has an amazing uh, website. You do want to stay tuned to this station because there'll be a wonderful host coming up after me doing a fantastic job. But <laughs> so don't do this. But if you if you if you happen to be nothing else going on in your life, you could go to cbssports.com. I think it's slash is it slash live? They've got you know they've done this before. Last year they did this too, and I don't know why they don't do it for everything. But they do just a fantastic job uh, of, of streaming the Masters. You can look at all the different uh, holes, and that's just, it's just amazing. And you can listen to this music and have Freddy Krueger grab you. <laughs> do you play golf, Dick T. Bartolo? Mad Madness, right? God, no, I don't. <laughs> Miniature golf, that's about it. Yeah, you don't seem like the golf type. I can't see you no. in golf shoes. No. Right. I might buy a golf cart if I could get one that went real fast. He doesn't even have a driver's license. I guess you don't need you know? a driver's license. No, you do. You need a driver's license to cast checks, but that's the only <laughs> reason I have one. So it finally came up, but look at this. This is the, uh, this is, oh, they covered up the good part with an ad. But that was interesting. But over on the right here, you had, you could choose the hole. Uh, you could see what's on the live TV, but you could also then, there we go. See uh, different, but every time, watch, every time I click this, the holes show up and then an ad covers it up. Oh. Nice design. Uh, what the heck? <laughs> Look at, watch, nice. here comes an ad. Boom. Uh. <laughs> anyway. Uh, They're selling everything. Boy, okay, I take it all back. Don't watch the Masters <laughs> on the internet. Uh, Dick D. Bartolo, Mad Magazine's maddest writer. He's also known as the Gizwiz. Why? Well, I don't know. No, because he's uh, really into uh, gadgets. That's why. For 40 years, he's been really... He's been, he was into gadgets when, a, when an answering machine was considered a gadget. 
And he does a podcast with us every week uh, called The Daily, Weekly, Weekly, Daily Gizwiz. One Which of, we do monthly, and we play annually. <laughs> Just in case you're con confused. And he joins us on the radio show every week at this time with another lovely gadget. And our gadget is from Eaton. They're the people who make the... Uh, Eton, E-T-O-N. They make, uh, they make uh, golf clubs. No, uh, no, I don't know. No. What? Crank radios... Well, so good, that you can get a lot of crank calls said, on the radio, so that's good. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, they, they have a new radio out. They, they team up a lot with the Red Cross, and the, their newest weather self-powered radio is called the Axis. So it has a neat little aluminum crank handle. And this one is very efficient. 90 seconds of cranking will give you 15 minutes of radio power. Now, is this the one that's the, that has the red, that's the red American Red Cross yes. radio? Yes, yes, exactly. Wow. Exactly. It's now, really this cool one, looking. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Uh, it has cell phone output for charging a cell phone. It, uh, cell phone not included. Cell phone not included, exactly. Uh, rechargeable battery included, but the, uh, the three AAAs, if you want a backup battery, is not included. Um, you can buy an optional AC adapter. It has all seven weather channels. It has weather alert. So if you're going out camping and you're sleeping overnight, if there is a thunderstorm coming in your area, set the alarm. It'll wake you up with an alarm. Has a built-in LED flashlight, a built-in LED blinker light. Um, what more yeah. could you ask for? I mean, this well, is yeah. and, 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 and the AM FM tuner is uh, digital and it has a built-in clock and alarm clock. Wow. So this, yeah, this is pretty nifty. How much? Uh, uh, $500,000. <laughs> they have wow. to get the price down. Yeah, price per feature <laughs> is good, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no. no. Uh, it's under 70 bucks. That's not bad. Brookstone has it. You can get it on Amazon, too. Exactly. E-T-O-N, uh, the Axis, A-X-I-S. The Axis. You know, I should probably have something like this, an emergency radio and all of that stuff, but... I don't. You know, do you have do you have emergency backup for the co for the Twit Cottage? Now that I think of it, no. no. I figured we we, spend we more money. We uh, well, we looked at yeah, really. We looked at it. It's very expensive to uh, keep a, a radio station online or a TV station online or an internet TV station online. Um, and we figured, well, if the power's out, I bet you our internet access goes out, and there's nothing we could do to make that work. Oh yeah, okay. That that's a good thought. Yeah, so I figured, well, might as well just all be, you know, all be down. And the good also, news, well, since you've been there, has the power ever gone out? It does occasionally, but never for any length of time. So we've been, you know, it's been we've been broadcasting uh, from the uh, TechEye Labs for five years. It's actually April seventeenth is the fifth anniversary of Twit. Uh, wow. sixth, I'm sorry, sixth anniversary. Of I, Twit. I was going to say because. We've been doing the Daily Gizwiz for 5.2 months. <laughs> anyway, it's always good to talk to Dick. His website, gizwiz.biz. And uh, the What the Heck Is It contest there is a chance for you to win an autographed copy of Mad Magazine. Anybody's and the a new cover of Mad will have Alfred and Zuckerberg on it. Oh, that's I saw it. It's hysterical. I love that. It's such a crack-up. It is. They, it's, you can't tell who's who. Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. And it's time to talk about tech. Oh, tech, tech. 
I'm your worst nightmare. A geek with his own radio show. This is the show. No, no, that's teasing me. I, uh, I'm not a geek. I just play one on the radio. This is the show where we help people understand technology and use it better because I believe that technology is an opportunity for us all to change the world, change your lives, to democratize things. I've just been so galvanized and excited by the the promise of technology, of digital technology, uh, over the last 20 years that I've been doing this show. And every, every, uh, every year there's a new demonstration of, of how fantastic this change is and how good for us it is. Uh, you know, most recently, the revolution's going on in the Middle East. There's a guy named Tim Wu who wrote, a, I think, a very uh, interesting book uh, about technologies um, it, uh, his, uh, it's called, uh, the, um, is it called the master switch, the rise and fall of information empires? I think that's it. The master switch. And, uh, his premise in the master switch is that, uh, new technologies and, and there've always been many, many new technologies over the, uh, over the years. He actually opens the book talking about, uh, the advent of long distance telephone calls in the, at the turn of the last century. And what a revolution that was, the ability to call somebody and talk to them in real time overseas. Amazing. And can you imagine how that must have felt to the people be able to do it? And, and he says uh, that in his book that uh, we've seen these revolutions before and that they, there's one characteristic feature. They always start uh, nobly and open, but inevitably... Uh, Corporations move in and close them, and it's a cycle back and forth between open and closed, open and closed. Open meaning it's democratic and everybody has a chance to use it and develop and innovate around it, and then, just as the Internet is today, and then at some point, I guess it gets, there's too much money involved or the big corporations decide to clamp down or in order to grow, you need some cap, considerable capital investment, and that means it can no longer be the people's technology. It becomes a technology of big business. And he uses uh, telephony as an example, but there are many other examples through history. And he says, just wait. That's what's going to happen to the Internet. And I don't buy it. I really don't buy it. I think this is, a, this is you know, it's, it's, it's very tempting for historians, uh, students of history at, at any time, to say, oh, yes, it's just a cycle and it's all repeating itself. And if you don't learn from history, you'll never understand what's going on. And, and I agree. And I, was a, I love history. I have a history major in college. And... A Chinese history major in college, and I just love the subject and read a lot of history. But it, but sometimes history doesn't repeat itself. Sometimes something happens that's totally new and unique. And I think the Internet is a good example. You know, I think what's happening in the Middle East, this revolution, I don't think it could have happened before. We thought with TV, when TV became widespread, we thought, oh, the Russians, the Soviets will see TV, they'll see the good life in capitalist society, and they'll be able to... Uh, you know, transform their society because they'll understand what options are out there. In the... But what we didn't count on is the fact that television and radio are very centralized. They still are run by a small handful of people who can afford to build the transmitters and get the licenses. And what happens when a, when a dictatorship feels threatened? What do they do? They take over the radio station and the TV station. And so it turned out that television wasn't the revolution we thought it was. It was too easy to control, and the Soviet Union controlled it. And they fed uh, their uh, their people the information they wanted them to have. 
But the Internet's not quite the same, is it? It's not quite so centralized, not quite so easy to control. You saw Hosni Mubarak turn off the Internet in Egypt, but he could only do so briefly, and it didn't work. Because it isn't centrally controlled. It isn't government controlled. We watched the governments of Syria and Tunisia and Yemen and the government of Libya try to control the flow of information, and they couldn't. And I think that's what's kind of different and exciting about this revolution, this information. It's really not an information revolution. I mean, it's partly information, but it's mostly communication, isn't it? We, can you, we now have a very democratic, decentralized way to communicate with one another, and I think that's transforming everything. You can make a record. My son, we talked about this on the show yesterday. My son uh, tweeted me yesterday and said, Hey, dude, <laughs> 16, 16 year old son, hey, dude, I, I just put some music up on SoundCloud. Tell, you all, tell all your listeners about it. And, uh, and when I'm rich, I'll, buy, I'll make sure you get in a nice nursing home. <laughs> Somebody tweeted me, I can't believe how disrespectful your son is. I said, Well, you must not have a 16 year old then. <laughs> It's kind of par for the course. I just I laughed, but I did in fact retweet his uh, his uh, address and let people listen to his music. Now, because I think that's fascinating. Now here he is. He's a 16 year old kid. He has basically because he has a Macintosh and uh, some software, GarageBand. Uh, eventually, I ended up getting him Logic Express. Um, you know, fairly inexpensive software. He has a recording studio in his bedroom. He can make music, stuff that the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, would have killed for. In fact, had to, had to sign deals with the devil, with the recording companies, to get, because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to record a record. He's got that in his bedroom. And even better, even better, he's got global distribution for free at the push of a button on the Internet. It's... it's not just in music, it's a, you, you can write a blog. If you want to write, you don't have to go to a publisher. If you want to make a TV show, you don't, have to, you don't have to get a television station. You don't have to sell it to HBO. You can make it yourself. You know, admittedly, you know, there are a few things. You, you probably aren't going to run an NBA franchise by yourself. <laughs> that might be a little more expensive than an individual can do. You're not going to make a major motion picture by yourself but because they're very expensive still. But there are a lot of things you can do, a lot of individual creative acts. And you have the distribution, and you don't need to go to anybody. You don't need to say, please, sir. And you can be, you can act, be a political activist. You can, you can uh, create political movements, as is happening in the Middle East right now all with just a, an inexpensive computer and access to the Internet. And, and ultimately, it's very difficult to cut that off. Once, once people get that technology, and every country wants it, because it's how you become a, a, a developed nation. So you can't really cut that off unless you're willing to stay in the, you know, the dark ages. So every, even, even the most foul dictators, except for maybe in North Korea, where they really still do exert a very tight control over this, it's the last bastion. And it's probably, I'll, I'll, I think, the last bastion of totalitarianism. Because ultimately, this free flow of communication lets people organize, lets people stand up for themselves. It is democratizing. And uh, Tim Wu, I know, you know, we, history repeats itself. And I know you think that it will at some point, and we're, and we're watching them try. The big companies will come in, the Comcast and Verizons and AT&Ts of the world, will come in and say, well, no, 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 enough of this democracy stuff. We want to control it. YouTube just started, uh, Google just started a YouTube live thing where people live stream. 
but they're very controlled about who gets to participate. And I, I'm aware of this because we were not invited to participate, even though I'm probably the largest uh, 30 hours or 40 hours a week of live programming internet broadcaster in the world. Uh, they didn't invite us to participate, and I looked and I saw why. Because we'd had some, and these are disputed copyright violations. You know, we're, we do news shows, and I play clips. I do this on this show, too. It is illegal to do so, play clips of other people's content as part of the news. But those people put takedown notices on YouTube. And YouTube, Google, big company, goes along with the movie industry, goes along with the television industry, says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And furthermore, like any big company says, you can't use our service if you don't pay your tribute to Hollywood and the record industry and all these others. Well, guess what? Doesn't matter. This is the beauty of it. It doesn't matter. You're going to see these big companies try to wrench down. You, the House of Representatives just told the FCC you cannot force net neutrality on Friday. <laughs> Too bad. Verizon, Comcast, the big companies of the world are going to try to shut us down. This time, they can't. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK-LEO. I was on, uh, on Friday, I was on the radio with uh, Ron Owens, who's a, a beloved host in San Francisco on our uh, sister station, KGO, up there. And uh, Ron said, can you, can you please explain what net neutrality is in one sentence? Because nobody understands it. And, uh, you know, it isn't easy, except that uh, I think it makes it a little easier if you don't use the words net neutrality. I think that's un an unfortunate description of what we're talking about. I am for net neutrality, but that means I'm against Internet discrimination. What companies like Comcast, AT&T, and Verizon would like to do is say that some kinds of Internet traffic are not equal. They would like to, for instance, they say YouTube is freeloading on our network. YouTube, with all the videos people are watching, or Netflix is another good example, is freeloading on our network. Now, remember, they're the gatekeeper to you and me and these Internet sites. If you're a Comcast customer, between you and Netflix sits Comcast. The way the Internet was designed, the way we want it to be, is free and open. That Comcast doesn't look at what's coming, what kind of traffic. A bit is a bit. And it just lets it all flow freely because we paid for Internet access. We paid for a certain amount of speed, a certain amount of data. And I want it. And I want Comcast to say, well, the problem is if we let you get Netflix, then you might not buy our premium subscription to HBO. And that's going to cost us money. So here's what we'll do. We'll give Netflix a choice. And by the way, this is going on right now. This is why they didn't want this bill in Congress. This didn't want FCC regulation. This is why they did want this bill in Congress that prohibits the FCC from regulating this. What, what Comcast wants to do is say, hey, Netflix, you can get to Leo, but you've got to pay us. They want to be a gatekeeper. Or, hey, Leo, you can watch Netflix, but not as much or not as fast because we want you to pay for HBO. That's network discrimination. That's Comcast saying... Not so good on Netflix. We're not so happy about Skype. Skype's another good example. Comcast, eight. Well, let's use AT&T or Verizon as an example because they're phone companies, aren't they? They would, you know, love to prevent you from using Skype because you use them instead of their premium phone service. 
This happens in Canada. It happens all over the world. It hasn't happened yet in the U.S. as far as I know. Uh, they're not very, uh, op they're kind of not very transparent about what's going on. But as far as I know, they're not saying, eh. but in Canada it happens and they admit it. Several of the internet service providers in Canada say, yeah, after uh, you use Skype for five minutes, we're going to catch off. We don't want you to have long phone calls. They're free. You can't. We need the. You're you're taking money out of our pocket. That's internet discrimination. I'm in the phone business. I'm not going to let you uh, use Skype. But wait a minute. I'm paying for internet access. To me, internet access, the way internet was designed, the way it's intended, the way I expect internet access is, I have access to the full and open and free internet. And without that, you don't get innovation you don't get competition you don't get people like skype coming along because the big guys who are already the incumbents they're already in power they already control it say no 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 innovation here we want you to use our service and and government's complicit in this the fcc believe me it's not that there isn't government regulation you know the republicans would have you believe oh no it's not that we're against internet discrimination we we or for, I guess, it's, how confusing it is. It's not that we're against net neutrality. It's not that we're for internet discrimination. We just don't think the government should be involved. Well, I got bad news for them. The government's already involved. If it weren't for the FCC, we wouldn't have the cable monopolies and the phone monopolies we have. I agree with Republicans. If you had 15 internet service providers to choose from, you wouldn't need these regulations. But we don't. We have a duopoly, in some cases a monopoly. How many different people can you get internet service from? Really, for most of us, it's either a phone company or a cable company, maybe satellite. There isn't that competition, so we do need these regulations because these companies were given monopolies by the federal government. So we're digging our way out of a mess. And if you want, if you, I'm telling you, if you want innovation, if you want the country to grow, if you want technology to grow, you've got to let it be open and free. And you can't let the existing big companies that have a death grip on this stuff control it. So that's why this is, I think, a, it's an important discussion. I agree. I don't like the idea of the government involved, but it's too late. They were involved, and that's why we got the mess we've got. Now, let's go to the phones. To Hollywood we go. Lewis is on the line. Hi, Lewis. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, Leo. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Welcome to the show. Leo, is there a shortage of bits? Is it a, not a renewable resource? Oh, what a great question. That's what these companies would tell you. Well, there's not enough bits, so we got to charge more. Or No, there's no shortage. This is a debate I have a lot. Uh, yeah, AT&T announced, I think, last month that they're instituting data caps on UVerse and DSL customers. Guess why? Think about why AT&T would care about that. It's not well, because you're, their position is, oh, you know, 99% of you don't use 150 gigs. The rest are bandwidth hogs, and, we, and they're downloading pornography. <laughs> if, they, if they could say it, they would. They're downloading child pornography, and if you're not a child pornographer, you don't need more than 150 gigs. What the truth is, people who use that much bandwidth are watching television. They're downloading movies and TV shows legally over the Internet. They're watching a lot of Netflix, and frankly, AT&T wants that business. And why aren't Netflix and Sling and other content providers that aren't associated with a service provider speaking out louder about this? Because the quality is only going to get better. Before you know it, you use 150 uh, gig in half a month. Right. 
There, this is Comcast did it with uh, they, their their Comcast limit is two fifty. AT and T's is now one fifty, and and they're doing it preemptively because they know right now most people won't feel that pinch. It is, as you say, only when everybody starts watching streaming movies on Netflix, downloading movies from iTunes, getting their music over uh, systems like RDO, Rhapsody, Mog, then these companies are going to say, <gasps> and it's not that there's not enough bits. There's plenty of bits. Believe me, it's a profitable business. It's that they don't want you to eat into their other premium businesses, television, telephony, uh, that's the, that's that's where this comes down to, and and I agree with you. There, is, you know, Lewis. This is the debate, though. Well, we've got to pay for the bits. Well, once you put in the infrastructure, the bits are are like running water. They're very inexpensive. Uh, in fact, in most cases, due to peering arrangements with other big content providers, they're actually free. Yeah, they they've got thirty nine billion to spend on T Mobile. Yeah. Imagine if they had put it into infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. Oh, AT and T's a bad one. But all, you know, all the telcos are because they're they're. Let's face it, they're hereditary monopolies. They've had it all to themselves for so long that that's how they think. And I just I think it's a sh I think it's shameful that our uh, government would go along with them instead of representing us and our interests. I agree. I don't know why Netflix uh, doesn't rattle the cage more. I think Reed Hastings, who runs Netflix, is a very subtle, sly guy. He realizes he can't be too loud. He needs these companies to go along with the last thing he'd like is for them to suddenly say to him, oh, and by the way, Netflix, that'll be an extra penny a customer. So, so, but I have a feeling they're very interested. <laughs> I would be. I am. Le Thanks for the call, Lewis. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Scott Wilkinson, in the home theater guy, joins us every week, usually at this time. Mm -hmm. How did your, uh, how did your uh, rehearsal go for uh, your Passover Seder? Oh, it went very well. Uh, the model Seder, we had about 200 people there. Uh, wow. Played a, lot, played a lot of great music, uh, ate some good chicken soup and <laughs> matzo ball soup, I should say, and, uh, and had, a, had a wonderful time. That uh, great. The real Seders start, uh, I think, next weekend. Right. Hey, right we're after going we get back. Right after we get back, because we're going to Vegas. In fact, as soon as I'm done with the show, I'm heading to uh, Las Vegas. We're going uh, so, to Vegas, baby. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We don't go to gamble. <laughs> we no. go to learn. We're going to the NAB show, the National Association of Broadcasters. They have a big trade show there every year. Big. I mean, really big. It's, uh, it's almost as big as, uh, as, say, the Consumer Electronics Show. Almost as big. I've heard numbers like 90,000. Wow. Now, you know, CES is like 150,000, so it's not as big as CES, but it's pretty big. 90,000 people is a lot of people. That's and a lot of people. The, now, we're, we're going to be covering it. We're the official streaming broadcaster of the show, and my Twit Network is, and we're going to be covering it Monday, Tuesday, and uh, Wednesday, and Thursday. And some Thursday, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, you're going to be a big part of that, too, because we're going to do our Home Theater Geeks show uh, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, it's only tomorrow, my Tomorrow, <laughs> 10 a.m. Yeah. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern from, or is it 9? Maybe Actually, 10.30. 10.30, okay. But yeah, we're going we're gonna to start off at the, the Twit stage, and um, we're going to have an hour there uh, talking with uh, some people. Uh, among them, Derek Smith from SpectraCal, a company that makes a um, uh, calibration software for end users as well as professionals. But then at 10, we're going to leave and go over to the Central Hall, where yeah. from 10.30 to 12, we're going to sort of roam the floor a little bit. And I've got several appointments set up for Panasonic, JVC, and Sony. I'm interested and, in, uh, in uh, doing something a little different, because I'm going to be carrying with me my iPhone and this owly... It's kind of like a metal case for an iPhone with a, with a wide-angle... 
uh, lens built into it, and I'm going to well, be cool. yeah, I'm going to be bringing it, uh, and and uh, and it's got a little microphone that comes off uh, the iPhone too for better audio sound, and I'm going to be uh, bringing this around and taping. Uh, uh, visits to booths that I, we can then broadcast little one or two minute visits. It's just going to be an interesting experiment using the iPhone and the uh, hmm. and the Owly, which is. Now, are you going to be streaming live? This I won't be streaming live. We do have, of course, uh, our live view uh, cameras, which allow us to stream live from the show floor. So we'll do right. that too. And we'll we have a booth uh, up there in the South Hall. But I, you know, before I before we go on and on about this, I guess I should ask the completely legitimate question why scott why <laughs> why why are we doing this because isn't this a show for broadcasters yes it is a show for broadcasters and professional content creators and many people have asked me why are you going what why are you covering this you you deal with consumers mostly and that's true my answer is because consumers tend to focus on the equipment that they can buy and put in their house, like a TV or a stereo system, a surround sound system, Blu-ray player, that sort of thing. And that's all important to think about and talk about. But the other part of the equation is how does the signal get to you? How is it created? How is the content created? And how does it get to you? And how does that affect your experience? And so that's what I'm going to be asking. My primary question of anyone we, we talk to at the show is going to be, how is the consumer experience impacted and hopefully improved by what you're showing at the show? Do we see TVs at the show, home theater, that kind of stuff, or is it not, not, not really? Not really, no. We're going to see cameras. I mean, in terms of equipment, we're going to see a lot of stuff that we aren't really interested in, like... Um, Television studios. switchers and television yeah. switchers. Now you're interested in that. Teleprompters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cameras. I think uh, you know for our hardcore tech audience, and that's who who's watches the podcast during the week. That's right. interesting because there's a lot of tech in that, and, and some of that will sure. you know be part of our lives. But but I I think you're right. For the general public, what's interesting about NAB is, and it's kind of interesting that I'm there. That we because you know our network is really in some ways the antithesis of the National Association of Broadcasters. We are well, the anti-broadcasters. We're the... Yes and no. Yes and no. I think... I've, I was thinking about this last night, that how interesting it is that what we... One of the things we will see at this show, undoubtedly, is a lot of what we call IPTV, streaming television, which is exactly what you're doing. You're, you're creating, essentially, an IPTV network, the TWIT network which people can watch online on their computers or on their TVs now, uh, depending on whether or not they can appoint them to that particular stream. But we're going to see a lot of that at the I NAB agree. show. I agree. You know, it's, it's, and, there's and, gonna... and there's a reason why the National Association of Broadcasters asked us, a non-broadcast network, mm -hmm. to be the official uh, streaming partner, because I think they are interested in how do we make... There's a lot of interest in how do we make this transition... Yes. From broadcast towers and expensive television stations to uh, the Internet. And, and right. if, if, uh, you know, if, if what you care about is content, not how it's delivered. I mean, if you're in the business, if you're NBC, you might be in the business of how it's delivered. But if you care about content, uh, then you don't really care how it's delivered. And you're very interested in other means to reach an audience. So that's what I think is going to be most interesting at this particular NAB show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we're going to see a lot of that I know you're not that interested in is 3D. Yeah, I think there'll <laughs> be. I bet you. I bet you'll be swamped with 3D cameras. Oh, I could not care less. I Tons mean, of them. Tons. I think well, it's you know, such James a Cameron. 
James Cameron is going to be the uh, the keynote speaker on Monday morning. We're going to cover that. He's going to have a press conference right after in which he talks about the the future of 3D movies in the next generation. And That's by right. the way, I think you and I talked about this last week. I don't think it has to do with 3D exactly. Well, it doesn't. It has to do it ha does have to do with 3D ultimately, but what he's talking about is higher frame rates. Yeah. He's talking about instead of shooting movies at 24 frames per second, he's talking about shooting them at 48 or even 60, uh, which he believes will reduce the amount of what, uh, what I've called 3D sickness, you know, headaches and dizziness and so on that some people feel when they go to a 3D presentation. Here's my prediction. Yes. Here's my prediction. So in order to do 3D TV or 3D movies, they do have to improve these technologies. They're going to improve the frame rate. They're already doing 4K screens, high double resolution yep. in width and height in yep. order to uh, help the 3D. I predict that these new advances, 4K, higher frame rates, will survive. 3D will kind of slough off as people realize it's a <laughs> stupid gimmick and we'll be getting these incredibly vivid, realistic 2D pictures and we'll go, oh... This is great, and then this the, is great. And the 3D people said, "Yeah, that's that's what we meant all along. That's, <laughs> that's what we was we was planning this all along." Because because I think 3D is ultimately a gimmick. However, if you get a good high res screen with a very high refresh rate, it looks so real. Your brain will make it 3D, and your Makes brain does a better job than those silly shutter glasses do. <laughs> you know, I, my poll question this week on ultimateavmag.com is, is 3D here to stay? <laughs> and what are or, people saying? Do you uh, have a well, the majority, I have to say that the highest percentage answer is no. It's going to disappear just mm. like it has many times in the past. Interesting. Although... It's followed closely. It's not that much of a, of a majority. The second um, one is, yes, it will survive in commercial theaters, but not in the home. You don't think so? No. But I tell you what, if you have an opinion, go to ultimateavmag.com and take a Scott Wilkinson's poll. He's editor-in-chief there. It's a great place to go if you're interested in home theater and want to read reviews of some of the greatest stuff. He also is a columnist at Home Theater Mag. Dot com and joins us every week. If you have a question for Scott, you can also email him. That's right. My, my email address is uh, scott at techguylabs.com. That's why the pregnant pause. I couldn't remember. Okay. <laughs> scott at techguylabs.com. Scott Wilkinson, always a pleasure. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow in tomorrow. Las Vegas. You bet. And, and uh, of course, there's another reason we're going. Tax-deductible trip to Vegas, baby. <laughs> See you there. Leo LaPorte, the tech guy. <laughs> Well, a good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Time to talk about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, home all that stuff, all the doodads that uh, are changing our lives. One more hour to go of the show. Right after the show, I will uh, take off for Las Vegas for the NAB show. The National Association of Broadcasters, they have their big yearly convention. About 90,000 people converge on Vegas to see the latest stuff in broadcasting. And, you know, I've, I've been in the past, and I am, of course. I mean, here I am being a traditional broadcaster, so I guess uh, I have one foot in that world. But I am most interested, as a tech guy, I'm most interested in non-traditional broadcasts, the new media, the ability that anybody has, thanks to... Uh, 
to do a TV show, thanks to sites like Ustream.tv, to do a, a podcast on iTunes or anywhere, uh, thanks to the, you know, computers and simple recording software and, and accessible, inexpensive microphones, to create a, uh, a novel or a nonfiction book online using a blog, even to sell it, print it, using uh, sites like Lulu.com and Amazon.com. It's really a transfer. I think it's a transformational time. I'm so excited by it because we all get a chance to have a voice. It's not just the few who can make a deal with the moneyed powers, the moneyed interests that own record companies, movie companies, television stations. It doesn't. Ha it, it's changing. And one of the things that I'm excited about, I, I, you know, I worked for years in radio and TV. Had to go hat in hand to get into the business. To us, I picked the smallest, dumpiest station I could find. <laughs> In Monterey, California, I said, this station is small enough. I might be able to talk my way onto the air there. And I and it took me a long time, and I did. I got that overnight show on Sunday morning, midnight to 5 a.m. But that, but I got in the business, and I had to beg and plead and, and wheedle. And nowadays, if any kid wants to do it, they just do it. Now, you might say, but Leo, you were on a real radio station. I had many listen. No. <laughs> That's, a, that's the sad fact, is that uh, I, you probably have more listeners doing a podcast than you do on the small little, this small little dumpy station I started on. So, you know, and now others are going to say, but Leo, yeah, okay, everybody can make it, but that now it you know, can create something, but doesn't mean that it's, it's any good. Didn't, that, didn't those gatekeepers somehow improve the content? Well, I guess that's true. Uh, I mean, you had to be decent to get on a big radio station or a big TV station. You couldn't just... Well, I, of course, now I'm thinking about some of the people who are on radio and TV these days. Maybe that's, <laughs> maybe that's not completely true. But think about this. If you can just start when you're 12 years old doing a podcast, by the time you're 18, you've had six years of experience under your belt, you, you can get good faster. And if there are more things online, it stands to reason there'll be more great things online. If some percentage of everything is good, and some percentage of everything good is great, and you increase the number of things on there, it stands to reason there'll be more good and great stuff out there. And I think we're seeing that. And it's different. This is the thing that scares record companies, TV uh, stations, and radio stations, it's not necessarily the same stuff they're doing. Look at YouTube. What's big on YouTube? Rebecca Black Friday Friday? You wouldn't see that anywhere. You'd never see that anywhere in the old days. And some of you are saying, well, yeah, is that so bad? Yeah, I think it is. I think the idea that everybody gets a chance is important. So that's our theme for the day. So I'm going to the National Association of Broadcasters, the bastion of people who say, we know how to do this and you amateurs stay away. Except that they see the times changing too. I've been invited there as the official streaming broadcast partner. Isn't that interesting? The NAB asked us to go down there and cover it for four days. I'm, I'm sure they've got ABC or NBC or somebody down there as the official broadcast partner, but we're the official internet broadcast partner and that just shows that i think a growing awareness among all these companies that times are changing look at cnn with their i report all of the companies are saying well how can we how can we get in on this 
And sometimes they're taking uh, routes that perhaps aren't going to work. You know, it's very difficult if you're an existing business to change your business model entirely. I know I'm a businessman. I understand. You build a business around a model, a way of making money. And if that model doesn't work or starts to change radically, it's hard for you to change. It's why frequently older companies wither away and new companies emerge. Why Yahoo's dying, Google's on the way up. Because the old way didn't work. I see companies like the New York Times. New York Times is smart. I got to say, they're very smart. I've worked with them. I like them. I like their reporters. I think we need newspapers uh, to do the fundamental reporting that sometimes bloggers are not able to or willing to do. Uh, but I think they made a terrible misstep. They put up a paywall at great expense, by the way. They put up a paywall a couple of weeks ago. And it's very complicated, but the basic rules are you get to see 20 articles from the New York Times free every month. Maybe more if you go through various partner sites. But at some point, it's not always clear when, but at some point the New York Times is going to put up a sign that says, sorry, you've seen enough of our articles for free. Now you have to pay. And a lot. It's, it's not cheap. It's not pennies. It's dollars. Now, I understand they're trying to preserve their business model, right? They base their revenues on two things, advertising and subscriptions. They, and they're losing money on both, aren't they? So they're trying to stay alive in the Internet age. But I got bad news for them. That's not the way to do it. You can't keep the old business model and expect to survive. People presented with that, sorry, you can't see any more articles in the New York Times, pay us. What are they going to do? Pay? No. They're going to say, fine, I'm on the Internet now. I can go somewhere else. Bye-bye. <laughs> see you later. <laughs> and I suspect you're going to see a dramatic drop in readership for the New York Times. That's not what they want, but that's what you're going to see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll find out. We'll find out. 8888-ASK-LEO, the number Ethan in Upland, California. Thanks for hanging on. You're next. I'm Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Ethan. Hi, how's it going? Fantastic. What can I do for you? Well, I have a MacBook that I bought in 2007, and last night I was streaming a Netflix show, and all of a sudden the screen turned off on me, and, but the sound was still going. So I had closed the computer to try and get it to restart, and it still wasn't working, so I, turned the, I hard reset the computer, the laptop, yeah. and when I turned it back on, it's been stuck on this gray screen with uh -oh. a pinwheel over setting. Okay. So something bad happened. Uh, you know, Microsoft Silverlight is a technology that Netflix uses. And if you had not had problems subsequently, I would have said, oh, just download the new version of Silverlight. Probably that got damaged. But in fact, I don't think that's what happened. Either there are two possibilities. Either your hard drive is having trouble or the more dramatic possibility is that you've got actually a failure on the motherboard, an actual computer failure. That's less likely. Solid state stuff doesn't die very much. Stuff with moving parts dies a lot more. Uh, so if your hard drive's dead, what you're going to have to do is uh, replace it. Now, depending on which MacBook you have, sometimes it's easy, sometimes that's hard. Do you have a removable battery on your MacBook? Yes, I do. Oh, good news. Most of the time with the removable battery MacBooks, you just open it up, take out the battery, and you'll see that you can take out the hard drive and put in a new one. If you want to recover what's on your existing hard drive, you're going to want to get something that will mount it in a desktop computer, and then you can run recovery tools on it. It's very possible that just a small, you know, this happened to my son. His iMac died, 
Um, now, unfortunately, the iMac isn't really user serviceable, so I had to take it to the Apple store. They put in a new drive, but I was careful. I said, please, when you take out the old drive, save it for me. I'd like the old part. I was able to take that old drive, put it in a docking station that allowed me to connect it via SATA to a PC. All the data was still there. I was able to recover it. Luckily, it was just the operating system that had been damaged. If you're lucky, Ethan, that's all you've lost. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Interesting conversation in the chat room, by the way. If you uh, haven't been to our chat room, you can get to it by going to the website, techguylabs.com, and there's a link right there. Well, I was talking about the fact that I brought my son's iMac to the Apple store because a hard drive died and I couldn't take it out. You know, there's no user serviceable parts in an iMac except the memory. Um, so I paid them with a premium. I think it was 300 bucks for a 500-gig hard drive, which is, of course, twice what it should cost or more. Actually, three times what it should cost. That's fine. It's Apple. That's fine. Um, but I said, I want the old drive back in case I can recover any data. And they gave it to me. Now, I'm talking with the chat room, and they said, well, that's not always the case. I thought it was the law. Maybe it's a state law in California, but I thought it was the law. If you go to an auto repair shop and they say, your Framitz needs to be replaced, uh, it's, it's dead, that they give you the old Framitz if you want it so you can verify that, in fact, it was broken. Seems to me it's exactly the same in a computer store. If they say, oh, I'm sorry, that motherboard has to be replaced, you should be able to get the motherboard and see where the scorch marks are so that you know it did have to be replaced. So I, I wanted the old hard drive because I knew I could, once I got it out of the Mac, run some file recovery stuff, spin right or whatever on it. Uh, and I, in fact, was able to recover all the data. So that, you know, that's certainly something you should try to do. The chat room says if it's a warranted repair, they need the old drive to send it back to the manufacturer to get credit, but they will let you inspect it. Gee, I don't know what I'm going to find out by inspecting a hard drive. Yeah, it looks broken to me. <laughs> but uh, that's interesting. I don't know. What is the rule? Maybe somebody who's a, an Apple genius can explain it to me. I would, I would, I would want the drive back if I could because then you can re run recovery uh, routines on it I don't care about maybe the motherboard maybe I guess if you, if they said look the motherboard's dead and they replaced it at great cost I guess you might want to say well can I see the old one just to see and if you took it home you, and you had a I don't know a voltmeter you perhaps could tell it was broken I don't know 8888 Ask Leo Paul, Daily City, California, listening on the great KGO in San Francisco. Hey, Paul. Hey, Leo. Welcome. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Thanks for calling. Um, uh, my wife uh, and I have been fans since ZDTV. <laughs> wow, that's really going back, back to 1999. And uh, I just wanted to... Uh, Thank you for reminding people um, that over-the-air TV digital works, and you and Scott uh, uh, telling people that, yeah, the HD does look better over-the-air than cable and satellite. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it's over-the-air hard, hard drive. Over-the-air high-def is absolutely the best deal in television, best deal in HD out there. It's, it's better quality than the compressed high-def you get on satellite or cable. Well, um... I've been a, a broadcast engineer since 1969. Oh, well, you know then. 
Yeah, exactly. But you do an amazing show. My wife's an IT professional, and we listen all the time. Uh, my request is that when you go to NAB, please uh, cover what's going on with the new uh, digital mobile handheld standard and the deployment of it. Uh, no, wait, 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 no, slow down, because I'm going to write this down, because I don't know what you're talking about, so I'm going to make a note of this. The digital mobile handheld standard, what, what standard are you talking about? Well, you know how when they put up digital TV, uh, digital TV just doesn't work when you're in motion at all. Right. <laughs> you know, Got it. It doesn't work in some re regular reception. Uh, but now, now people, I know there are people uh, with RVs who have uh, special satellite tracking stuff so that they can keep the direct TV satellite pointed at the, uh, or dish pointed at the satellite. That's digital. Doesn't that work? Um, it does, but, but what I'm talking about is something that is lower resolution but intended to go on a handheld uh, uh. platform, either a smartphone or my preference would be when the iPod Touch, when they do the same thing to the iPod Touch for television that they did to the Nano for FM. You know how a couple of years ago they started including an FM tuner in, uh, in, in the Nano for people that wanted to hear what's going on right now. Right. Because the ATSC, in their infinite wisdom, and they've been slow about this, but they had a, uh, have a standard, a robust standard. And there's only one station that's been experimenting with it in the Bay Area, but they've had extensive tests in Washington, D.C. And it's about to get rolled out all over the country where um, you have a receiver, whether it's dedicated or it's built into, say, a smartphone or an iPod Touch, and um, you can roam freely with it, and it never breaks up. It looks great uh, on, wow. on the small... So you're saying we could watch broadcast on our smartphones? Exactly. A free, over-the-air, and, and in motion, whether it's in the car or something in your hand. Now, we saw something at CES a year ago called Flow TV. In fact, they bought Super Bowl ads. Remember they had those great ads where, you know, the guy was with his wife and had to shop because he couldn't watch the Super Bowl on his handheld device. And then I just went to the Flow TV website, and it says the Flow TV service has been discontinued. Well, that was a pay service, and it didn't take off, and it just it didn't make it. But now, I remember the story on this one. Wasn't it that they bought uh, UHF frequencies in a lot, uh, discontinued UHF frequencies in a lot of markets that they were broadcasting? Exactly. They made a deal with the FCC, and they bought the same channel in every market was the way they did it. Crazy! Um, and, uh, <laughs> it was this encrypted, and you had to, you, had to, you know, like I say, it was a pay service. But is this the same idea? It's kind of the same idea, except that it is free, first of all. And second, there's going to be, uh, the station can choose to have one or more than one uh, mobile handheld stream. And, uh, so cool. I had no idea that this standard even existed. So if I'm Channel 5 in San Francisco, if I'm, if, well, let's, let's use Channel 7, KGO, in San Francisco, uh, and I have a transmitter, I'm broadcasting to television sets, is it a different frequency? What do I need to do to make a mobile version of my broadcasts? Well, actually, what it is is just another stream. In other words, if you take... Um, is it Internet-based? I mean, am I using bandwidth, Internet bandwidth? No. No. Over, it's over-the-air over over broadcast. Wow. Is streams. Actually, it's what we've got today is, is uh, you pick up one big 
digital master stream, and it can be divided up into substreams. Um, I happen to work for the most watched public station in the country, and we put out three streams, a high-definition and two standard-definition streams on our transmitter. Are you, are you um, talking about KQED? Yeah, KQED, right. In and San Francisco. So how, would I wa how could I watch that on my uh, smartphone? This is the thing. Is it is the uh, the uh, right now? There are uh, TV set manufacturers that are going to be incorporating it in small mobile TVs. Okay. They're talking to uh, the f smartphone people, of course, about integrating it. Right. And I just hope they're talking to Apple because, like I say, it would be so great if they put it into the iPod Touch, like no they put kidding. the FM receiver in no the kidding. Nano, and. Uh, uh, it's the station can choose to take some of their bandwidth and uh, and dedicate it to this mobile handheld stream. And uh, with these receivers that are coming out, um, like I say, it's a very smart standard, too, because... Well, Paul, instance, Paul, you've given me a mission. We're going to NAB tonight, and I will... Hang on, because I want to talk more about it, but I will cover this for you. Extreme. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. We've been talking... With Paul, who's a broadcast engineer in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, works for the great public TV station and radio station KQED in uh, San Francisco, and he's giving me a mission. And I'm glad you called because I had no, I had no idea this was existed. A, a standard for digital mobile television. Uh, in other words, of course, you could carry around a little TV, right, Paul? I mean, I could carry around a little battery-powered TV and receive standard broadcast. What makes this different? It's the robustness of the stream. It's got uh, it's it, it sacrificed resolution because you don't need 1080i on a five-inch screen in your hand, you know, and uh, um, and it took those extra bits and it makes redundancy and uh -huh. uh, error correction such that the the signal becomes very robust and you don't suffer the problems. I mean, now right now you could go to Radio Shack, and you can buy a little uh, ATSC, the standard for digital television, over-the-air receiver. And as long as you're sitting in one place, it works pretty nice, usually. But if you pick it up and try to walk around the room with it, it just drops out and pixelates, and you lose right. it. And it's the standard streams that we put on the transmitter are are not a robust stream. There but is a, a company called Hapog. It makes a lot of video products. They have a product called WinTV Arrow, which... It looks like picks up, I don't know if it's standard ATSC or, no, it's the ATSC MH. Is that it? Mobile well, digital? Mobile handheld. Yeah. And when you go to NAB, last year they had a pavilion there, and I think they had the bus driving around. They've had a, <laughs> a, a, a d demonstration where you go out and ride around uh, Las Vegas in this bus and watch over-the-air television via the mobile handheld, and it's just a demonstration of how it doesn't drop out, and it works very well. And uh, the interesting thing, too, for us is that, as you may know, we uh, now uh, control KTEH in San Jose and KQET in Salinas Monterey. Right. And For instance, we could put 
the mobile handheld stream on all three stations. We could put the content to be the same on all three stations, and the state and the uh, the the standard is smart enough that it will find the same content even on a different channel, because we're channel 30 over the air in San Francisco and 50 over the air in San Jose and 25 over the air in Salinas Monterey, but it somehow will figure that out. And you could start in Marin, watching something and drive all the oh, way. Wow. Salinas Monterey and carry it unbroken uh, in your car or if you're riding in a bus or on a train. I think the key, Paul, is going to be to get these, though, on mobile phones, on smartphones, because nobody wants to carry a phone and a TV in their pocket. Exactly. Exactly. Or an iPod. Or a touch. Yeah. So it's an RF receiver we'd need to have, so it wouldn't be a simple modification. You'd have to add an RF chip to the, the phone. Right. Very similar to them putting the FM tuner in the in the iPod right. Nano. Right. Oh, well, I tell you what, Paul, we're going to NAB. I'm leaving right after the show uh, this evening, and um, our coverage begins 9 a.m. We're covering at 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a little bit of Thursday. And I promise you, we will. I will seek out the digital mobile pavilion, and uh, maybe I'll go for a ride in the bus because we have a mobile camera. We're using uh, 3G connectivity with a product called live view to shoot mobily so we'll see if we can go for a ride and show uh, broadcast television mobile uh, that sounds really intriguing i'm so glad you called yes i uh, have fun there i wish i was going this year we're under the austerity program that yeah. so <laughs> I went last year but i can't they didn't send us this year but uh, maybe next year but uh, do have have a great time look it up you might go to a couple of transmitter manufacturers booths and see their take on it harris or thompson or those type of booths too because they'll be showing it and letting you walk around the convention floor watching cool. over the air yeah well i will definitely look into it i love i love that i hadn't even it wasn't on my radar so to speak so i will look for it well i, I didn't think so have a good time i i, I we're abject fans of yours and have been forever and so i really would like to get your take on it and what you're seeing good come up and visit us at the studio too paul we'd love to i'd love to meet you in person oh, yeah. we want to see the twit college before you move right? last chance last chance yeah i don't know when we're moving but it's a couple in the next couple of months so head on up we'll, we'll, email. we'll get it worked out thanks paul great to talk to you yeah my sister uh, coordinates visits to the uh, cottage right now it's a you know it's a fairly small studio we have room maybe for four or five visitors we almost always have visitors it's kind of fun in fact i have two people in studio from uh, uh the Calif northern california right now from auburn and from san francisco visiting in fact let me say hello to peter who is i could i could show them on camera peter clark he's a student at the academy of art uh, in web design and media and uh, jesse johnson from auburn who's visiting and uh has a very nice car <laughs> the new Ford Mustang has a sweet ride. I like his license too. It's Vader's pony because it's black. It's scary, except for the pink uh, car seats in the back. Other than that, scary. <laughs> uh, so when you, uh, if you did want to come by, Dan, uh, just email my sister Eva, eva at twit tv. She coordinates just to make sure that we don't have a hundred people showing up at once. And, uh, yeah, and it's probably, I think we're going to be moving by the mid-June into uh, the new 10,000-square-foot studio. It'll, and somebody said, oh, Leo, I hope it doesn't get professional. No, don't worry. It's going to be just as junky as always. Tom in Westfield, New York. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Oh, hi, Leo. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. What can I do for you? 
Uh, well, I had a question about Android phones. I've been out of contract with AT&T for a while. I plan on sticking with them. Um, I, I could uh, with me, but I was looking at Android. Um, but if I was going to go Android, I'd want to go with as open an Android headset uh, handset right, as I can. Right. Yeah, I, I, you know, Android's an interesting story because it is open source, despite what all the uh, anti-open source or anti-Google advocates are saying these days. It is, in fact, open source. Uh, and, uh, in fact, it's uh, managed by the Open Mobile Alliance. Uh, Google has kind of uh, considerable, con you know, sway with it. And, in fact, it, until they release the new version open source, you won't be able to get it. But you can get every version up through Gingerbread get the source code. So that means anybody for free, you don't have to pay a license fee, can use this to build a device. That's why there's so many Android tablets. I see Android on all sorts of things. Uh, because it's Linux and, the, and you know it's open source and it's easy to install and you don't have to pay anybody for it and you get a lot of functionality. But when, a, when most handset manufacturers put it on a phone, HTC, uh, Samsung, uh, LG, the companies, you know, uh, that put them on the phone, Motorola, they modify it and they put their own little stamp on top of it. And in most cases, it's not an improvement. So Motorola puts blur on it. I hate blur. Unfortunately, Motorola makes some of the best Android phones, but I hate blur. HTC has their own little sugar they put on top of it. It's not so bad. I, I like HTC the best of the three. Um, and uh, uh, so does Samsung. But you can get what Google calls the true Android experience if you get a Google handset. And that right now, there are only a few. There's, I use the Google Nexus One, which they released some time ago on T-Mobile. They've updated that on T-Mobile with the Samsung Nexus S. Nice phone. Both of those are very nice phones. And there is now a 4G phone on Sprint that is also a true Google experience. That means no additional carrier junkola there might be some applications, but no modification to the operating system. So, I are do you do you care about T-Mobile versus Sprint? Um, I'm. Are you AT and T? Aren't you? I'm I'm AT and T, and I don't plan on leaving them anytime soon. Uh, unlike unlike many folks, I'm I'm actually quite happy with their service. Well, you know, Android and AT and T is pretty good. I'll have a recommendation for you when we get back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Who is it? Carbonite Library. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. 8888-ASK. Leo, just a few minutes left in the show. I've been talking to Tom. He wants to get an Android phone on AT&T. I'm chatting with the chat room about their recommendations. And they tell me, and this would be a great choice, that the HTC Inspire, which is a 4G phone... And a big screen one at that, 4.3-inch WVGA screen, is 8-megapixel camera, 20 bucks at Costco with an AT&T, uh, you know, obviously with an AT&T contract. That's subsidized, but still, that's great. Now, here's the deal. Tom, you said you wanted a pure Google. And this will have HTC's kind of uh, user interface on top of it. I actually like HTC's uh, user interface, but you can always take an Android phone and root it and put generic ROMs on it and get it not only to the latest version of Android, 
This comes with Froyo, but you want gingerbread. But, but also, um, when you do that, uh, you'll be able to remove any carrier and handset manufacturer modifications. You'll be able to go back to the plain vanilla Android. A good source for information about this is XD Developers. This is where all the ROMs and all the information about rooting your phone uh, lives. It's XDA, I'm sorry, XDA-Developers.com. So if you search for the Inspire at XDA-Developers.com, they'll tell you how you have to modify it. So and it's easy to do. And because Android's open source, rooting it is trivial, always. It's unlike the iPhone where you have to actually get around Apple's restrictions. Okay, Tom? No, it looks interesting. That's something I'll check in on. Nice-looking phone. I have to say, I like, and I personally like a 4.3-inch screen. The big question mark on Android phones in general at this point is battery life. Uh, you know, and it's the same problem on all smartphones because they have big, bright screens, and you're using them more than... You're not just making phone calls. You're using them all the time. And so it tends to run out before you've got, you know, through the day. Uh, iPhone is a pre has pretty good battery life, but even better, there are a number of cases that have additional batteries for the iPhone. Android phone, you'll have to use an external charger or uh, some sort of a way to charge it up if it can't make it through the day. I don't know what the battery life on the Inspire is. I don't think it's particularly good. And whenever you have a big screen like that, it generally uh, means it won't have great battery life. That's the big. I think that's the big negative on all smartphones, but it seems particularly problematic on uh, on the Android phones. But I, I am an Android fan. I love it. Bill, Los Angeles, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Bill. Hello. Welcome. What oh, can I do for you? Uh, you're on. Okay, yeah, I didn't hear you come on there. Sorry. Um, I've got an older laptop I bought a couple of years ago, and the other day I was working with it, all of a sudden it locked up. I got a blue screen. What I could see, it said something about a kernel something. Now when I turn it on, it goes immediately to the, we're sorry, Windows had a problem, and I've tried the best-known configuration uh, Probably what safe. happened is your hard drive died. I mean, it could be something more serious, but 99 times out of 100, when this happens, it just means that it may be not even the whole drive. I mean, it can mean the hard drive itself died, but it can also just mean there's some bad uh, sectors on the drive, particularly where the Windows kernel or critical Windows system files lived. And after that, the system isn't going to be able to boot up. How do you fix it? Well, the easiest way, now it's a laptop, so it just, this, this will vary depending on the manufacturer. But the easiest way is take out the old hard drive, put a new one in. Uh, and if you take the old hard drive, you can probably bring it into a shop and have them run some data recovery tools on it. Spin right is the first thing I do. That would, that would find bad sectors, move data off the bad sectors. Often that's sufficient to not only recover your data, but to recover the drive entirely. The only negative on spin right is 90 bucks, which is about what a new drive would cost. So it's really, uh, it makes sense for shops or anybody who has to work on uh, a lot of drives. But almost certainly, Bill, that's what's going on. It's an older laptop. The hard drive died. They die. And that's exactly the symptom you get. It wouldn't boot, wouldn't be able to boot. You'd get a kernel panic or some sort of error message when you try to boot. Doesn't mean anything more serious necessarily. I mean, of course, it could be the motherboard died or something, but mo most likely it's a hard drive. Hi, Leo. How are you today? Very, very well. You're looking ben, for a new phone, I take it. Oh, yes. I've been fed up with Blackberries, and I've got a Palm Pre that Plus that uh, I'm not happy with. But uh, yeah. uh, I switched to Apple computers, and I've been dying to have an iPhone, but AT&T never worked for me. 
And uh, so now my new every two is up, and I, I don't know if I want to get stuck with a, an iPhone 4 for two years if I'm... <laughs> well, you're right. Now, when will the new iPhone come out? No one knows. Traditionally, iPhones come out in June. It's the first iPhone came out June 2007, 2008, the 3G, the 2009, the 3GS, the 2010, the iPhone 4, 2011. No. I think all the experts agree... Because we, we just haven't heard any news about it. There's been no rumors, no drumbeat. Apple, I think this year is going to wait. How long are they going to wait? Maybe till September, maybe longer. I don't know. I do think that they will uh, offer an iPhone 5 in the fall, but not before then. But again, I should always, same disclaimer with Apple, they don't tell me. They don't tell anybody. Anything anybody says about Apple is complete conjecture. We won't know till Apple tells us. And, and I don't use a lot of apps. The uh, couple apps I want are related to ham radio, and they're not okay. available for the pre. So <laughs> that's kind of one of the reasons uh, uh, that I want to get rid of this and uh, get into either an iPhone or a Droid. But I, I don't know if the Droid X or Droid 2 is too far, too old technology to even consider at this point. Uh, and, I, and I do like to get longer battery life. Yeah. Uh, you know, the iPhone is great. I have an iPhone, uh, but I am an Android fan. If you like to, to mess around with it, if you want more capability, if you want to be able to dictate, for instance, to the phone, if you want to be able to put widgets on the desktop instead of just uh, application icons, Android is great. Uh, it does suffer because there's so many choices. <laughs> you wouldn't think choice would be a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, but that's, it makes it more confusing, let's put it that way. Uh, the good news is, if you don't like the current crop of Android phones, wait a month. There's always new ones. Um, AT&T uh, has a pretty good choice of Android phones. Um, are you at AT&T or Verizon? <laughs> we're, uh, we're, uh, Verizon, their service, their customer service, I'm not happy with, but their, their network I'm very happy with. Well, so Sorry. you're talking about Verizon. Okay. Um, Verizon has, I would wait, if, if you're going to think about an Android phone, the Droid Bionic will be out on Verizon in the next month or so. That will be the state-of-the-art in Android phones. We don't know what the battery's life is like because it's a dual processor, but it will certainly be fast. The Thunderbolt, which is the current top-of-the-line Android model, is also very nice, but it's a single processor. If you could wait, I'd, if you were thinking of waiting for Android, I'd wait and see what the Bionic offers. But you know what? A Verizon iPhone 4, that's a pretty nice, pretty nice deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my dilemma. Because usually when I buy something uh, three weeks later, it comes out with the other one. I'm stuck. Well, I'm the you. king. I'm the king of that. that <laughs> I've, been, I've been waiting for an iPhone for so long, and yeah. and I I just really wanted to bite the bullet and, and get it. So it's uh, but uh, well, I think it's a problem because uh, even if you only release a phone once a year, which is what Apple has been doing, it's still too soon for the two-year deal, right? Um, maybe Apple will be moving to every other year. Uh, you know, that's something to think about. Then then customers can make a rational choice every other year where they get a new iPhone when their contract expires. I wouldn't be surprised to see Apple say, yeah, we're not going to release an iPhone 5 till June uh, 2012. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, the, the, I think the only reason that might speed it up is because of all the droids that are coming out. They've got so much competition on the Android market. So. They're starting to feel that. You could tell when Steve Jobs announced the iPad 2, uh, you could tell he was feeling Android breathe hot breath down his neck. He, he, he definitely was worried about that. Hey, it's great to talk to you, Tim. Great to talk to all of you. Thanks to Luis Oliveira on the board and Gina Salvati answering the phones. Thanks to you for being here. I'll see you next week. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.